Hello, we hope that you're having a good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you may be listening from. Welcome to the LATAM FDI podcast. In these recordings, we'll be looking at the Latin American region in its entirety through the prism of foreign direct investment. We hope that you find these recordings to be informational, educational, and entertaining. Today, we are fortunate to have Ricardo Ricardo Rascon with us. Ricardo is with a company called Tetacaui, one of the leading shelter companies in Mexico. Um, He's the marketing director. Ricardo, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your organization. Great. Thank you, Steve. I'm really uh, honored to be here with you today. And I feel like I should be interviewing you with all the knowledge you have on Mexico. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time to ask me some questions. Uh, As you mentioned, my name is Ricardo Rascon, Director of Marketing at Tatakawi. We're a company based in Tucson, Arizona, that for nearly four decades has been helping foreign manufacturing companies expand into Mexico via what's known as the shelter program, which I'm sure we'll talk in, in more detail coming on here. So thanks again, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, thank you for being here, Ricardo. But to set the stage for the people that are listening, can you highlight some of the advantages of setting up manufacturing operations in Mexico compared with other global destinations? Yeah, definitely. I think if you've turned the TV on anytime in the last four months or listened to to radio, anything besides Taylor Swift, you've probably heard about the countless advantages that Mexico has to offer. And I think it really comes down to, you know, four or five. I I would say, number one, you have cost efficiencies. Uh, So when you look at labor costs compared to other regions in the world, uh, there's significant savings that could be had by manufacturing in Mexico. So that's one of the primary reasons, I would say. Aside from that, you have, it's a strategic location. You know, our proximity to North American markets is, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so when you're comparing, should I manufacture my product in China versus Mexico? Uh, do I want this product to be sitting on a ship for a couple of weeks or do I want it on a truck where it could be in the U.S. in, in eight hours? So I think Mexico is very fortunate to have the U.S. as a neighbor. And that's one of the key reasons why a lot of companies are looking to Mexico right now. Uh, Aside from that, there's a lot of free trade agreements that Mexico has. USMCA is obviously the one that everyone talks about, but there's other ones. Uh, When you kind of do the math, I think there's over 50 countries that uh, participate in in various free trade agreements with Mexico. So it's a great launching pad to places uh, aside from just the US and Canada, Latin America, things like that. And and that's why a lot of kind of European companies like it as well, because you're not just getting preferential trade access to North America, but there's also other countries that you're able to then trade with uh, as well. Aside from that, I would say the last two are probably going to be the skilled workforce. We we talked about cost efficiencies, but just because they're lower cost doesn't mean they're lower skilled. Uh, a, a lot of skills, you know, we have aerospace companies, medical device companies, automotive companies, and, and companies have been manufactured in Mexico for, for decades. Uh, so they have that industrial work culture uh, that a lot of companies need. And, and the last one I would say is is especially important now, and it's it's really the favorable demographics. Uh, when you look at Mexico's workforce, uh, the median age is in the mid-20s. And, and what's most important and what we see is it's a workforce that's ready, willing, and able to work in the manufacturing industry. Uh, you know, I live here in Tucson, Arizona, and, you know, a lot of people around that age here have zero interest in working in manufacturing, but in Mexico, these are aspirational jobs for them. Uh, so that's a, another key benefit. And I think a lot of these factors collectively 
make Mexico an attractive destination. And, you know, there's a lot of other advantages as well. And, and I'm sure, you know, you could read about them, listen to them on TV. But I think at the end of the day, those are the four or five that really have companies thinking about Mexico as a solution, not just for their current needs, but for their future manufacturing needs as well. For businesses that are considering opening manufacturing operations in Mexico, what are the primary modes of entry that are available to them and how do they differ? Yeah, so there's really five modes of entry, I would say, when it comes to expanding into Mexico. Uh, There's contract manufacturing, there's joint ventures, there's acquisitions, there's standalone or, or fully owned subsidiaries, and then there's something unique to Mexico, which is called the shelter model. Uh, for the sake of today's conversation, I'm just going to talk about contract manufacturing, uh, standalone operations in the shelter program, uh, joint ventures, acquisitions. We don't see them happening too much right now uh, in Mexico, and they don't have a strong history of success either. Uh, so the first mode of entry is contract manufacturing. So this is where a company looks for a, a third-party firm in Mexico that has some existing capacity and says, hey, I need you to make this widget for me. It's a low-risk entry strategy. It doesn't require a ton of capital investment, and you're able to benefit from a company that might already have these manufacturing processes in place. They may have some economies of scale, scope, and learning. Uh, So that could be a good solution for a company that's already kind of made the decision from a strategic perspective that when it comes to the production part of my value chain, I'm going to outsource that through a third party. Uh, and, you know, when we look at kind of this nearshoring that's kind of taking place right now, that's where a lot of interest in Mexico is right now. Uh, a lot of companies that say, hey, maybe I make this widget through a third party company in China. Now I'm looking for a substitute solution and I'd like to do this in Mexico. Oftentimes they kind of uh, have a, a greater affinity towards the contract manufacturing model. Uh, but there are some challenges with that. Uh, number one, they're hard to find. Uh, it's hard to find 100% own Mexican contract manufacturing companies that can manufacture products for you at a competitive price. Uh, you could certainly find some you know, U.S.-based companies with operations in Mexico that do have some capacity, but they're going to pass on that U.S., Canadian, European overhead. So it may not make it the most cost-effective way. Uh, but if it is an option that you're considering, I, I would in, 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 uh, advise you to consider working with a sourcing agent, someone who has a Rolodex of companies that might have the capabilities that you need. Typically, that's the best way to make that work. Um, so aside from contract manufacturing, you also have a, a standalone operation. Uh, so in this model, foreign company sets its it sets up its own manufacturing operations in Mexico, forms its own legal entity. Uh, you know, just as if you know you were a U.S. company and looking to form a company in in Canada, for instance, it gives you the highest level of control over all aspects of your manufacturing process, your administrative process. Uh, you know, from production to workforce management, you're a hundred percent responsible for all of the activities. Uh, But because of this, it comes with the highest level of risk, and it requires a significant amount of investment and resources in order to make this type of operation possible. So that's where things kind of open the door to the shelter model. So the shelter model is is unique to Mexico, and it's been around for over 40 years, but it's getting even more popularity now. And really, it allows a foreign company to operate in Mexico as a division of a shelter service provider. 
So the shelter service provider like Tetakawi would take a company, let's say ABC Manufacturing, and ABC Manufacturing would say, hey, Ricardo, I'm looking for 35,000 square feet. I need to hire 80 people. We would find and lease the building on their behalf, recruit and hire all the people that they need, help them move everything in and out of the country, make sure that uh, they're compliant with all regulations. And it's really a turnkey solution that allows them to take advantage of everything that Mexico has to offer without having to worry about the bureaucracies and the administrative kind of nightmares, for lack of a better word, of doing business in a foreign country. So each of these models obviously have their own advantages and considerations, but I think the shelter model at the end of the day, it really stands out because of you know how it allows you to control production-related activities without having to worry about the administrative aspects. And at the end of the day, it has a lot of risk mitigation strategies built into the model as well. Ricardo, I just heard you mention um, a shelter service provider will help a company find and lease space. I know that Tetakawi does do that, but just to give our listeners an idea of the size and breadth of Tetakawi, uh, how much real estate does Tetakawi have under roof? Yeah, definitely. So we actively own and, and manage over 7.5 million square feet of industrial space. Definitely have more room to operate as well. Our, our core product is what we know as a manufacturing community. So really it's it's much more than just an industrial park. It's an industrial park with on-site support services and amenities that help make sure that companies can kind of facilitate this turnkey expansion as seamlessly as possible. Uh, but that's not necessarily a fit for every type of company. So some companies might say, hey, Ricardo, I really love your value proposition. I, I would like to use some of your shelter services. Uh, but operating inside of your real estate may not make sense for me for a couple of reasons. Uh, we're also able to provide services outside of our real estate uh, as well. One thing I've always thought of shelter companies and an easy way to explain it to people is it's a it's a all-encompassing solution. If I'm a manufacturer, I want to make something in Mexico. I don't have to know anything about doing business in Mexico. I just plug into the system and I'm good to go in a short period of time. Yeah, and I think that the speed to entry is is really key. You know, uh, under current conditions, it's kind of changed. Uh, obviously, a lot of companies are looking to Mexico. Real estate is hard to find. Uh, before this kind of wave of expansion into Mexico, we could get a company set up in as little as 30 days. So sign a contract, and in 30 days, you could be shipping out finished products. Uh, I would say now it, it's probably closer to three months uh, if we could find an available building. Uh, if there's not an available building and we have to build uh, from the ground up, you're probably looking at between six to eight months to get started. But if you compare that to a standalone operation, uh, there's still a savings of time. If you were to say, hey, I want to go into Mexico and I want to do it on my own, uh, you know, you'd first have to secure the real estate. Then you'd have to apply for certain certifications that on their own could take upwards of six to eight months. So to get started with the current administration in Mexico and how things have become even more bureaucratic than they should be, in my opinion, uh, you're probably looking for a standalone operation anywhere between 12 to 16 months to get set up. Yeah. And another thing that's pretty important too to, to consider is that in addition to all the physical infrastructure preparation that has to be done to get up and running in Mexico, if you're doing a standalone, you have to staff up with people who know HR in labor law, you have to staff up with people who know accounting in Mexico. You have to staff up with people that know how to do customs and logistics issues, uh, environmental uh, 
compliance. So all of those things are already in place. People yeah. Are- yeah, and definitely. And, and you get it from top-notch people. And what, what I always tell companies, especially SMEs, hey, if, if you're looking to expand into Mexico with about 50 to 70 people, you could try to do a lot of those things on your own. Or you can work with a shelter service provider like Tatakawi, who's doing these things for over 70 companies, who has over 24,000 employees in Mexico. And you could get access to the types of people, the types of infrastructure, the types of resources that would normally only be available to a Fortune 100 company. So when you talk about the economies of scale, of scope, of learning, it's really a no-brainer. And in my biased opinion, I guess you could say. I don't know. I agree with you. Yeah. I I, I don't know why a company wouldn't at least start under the shelter program uh, because it's an an amazing way to get started uh, because of the speed, but also to learn how to do things the right way. And for some companies, it is a perpetual mode of entry. I mean, we've been in business for almost 40 years and our oldest client has been with us for over 35 of those years. Um, for other companies, they may say, hey, I just need a one, two, three-year engagement. And then after that, I want to take the training wheels off and see what makes the most sense for my company. But what I always tell clients is, you know, what's the number one reason you're expanding into Mexico? And a lot of them have some different reasons. But at the end of the day, it, it all kind of boils down to making high quality products at a lower cost. And I say, great, you're not coming to Mexico to become an expert in how to deal with labor unions or how to deal with environmental health and safety standards. You're coming here to do what you do best at a lower cost. So work with the shelter service provider. We're ask experts in these other things, and, and we'll help you improve your competitive advantage uh, by allowing that kind of focused production environment at a lower cost. Well, when it comes to making a decision, what should a company, and if you could summarize, what should a company consider when it's contemplating doing it with a shelter company as opposed to a standalone operation? Yeah, so I think the the, the biggest thing is going to be degree of control. So how much control do you want over every single aspect of your operation in Mexico? If you're a company that says, hey, I want to go to Mexico and I want to be like Hernan Cortez and just conquer every aspect of it. I want to be an expert in environmental health and safety laws and regulatory compliance and labor unions and how to deal with them. If you want to have complete and 100% control over all the administrative aspects, then you should really consider setting up uh, your own subsidiary and building out these teams internally and getting started on your own. If you're a company that says, hey, I want to expand to Mexico and take advantage of everything that it has to offer, and I do want to have 100% control over production-related activities, but when it comes to the administrative side of the business, I just don't want to deal with that, then typically the shelter is going to be more advantageous for you. And there's even some companies who are kind of in the middle of it, and they say, hey, eventually I want to be able to do those things, but right now I just want to focus on getting started as quickly as possible. Like I said, there's ways to kind of transition outside of the shelter. Uh, so degree of control, I would say, is probably an important thing to consider. Uh, the second is going to be time to market, and Steve and I kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, if you need to get set up as quickly as possible, there's no quicker way than the shelter option. 
if you have time, if if time isn't of the essence and you say, okay, I want to establish a manufacturing facility in Mexico, uh, but I don't need to be operational until 2025. And I do want to have a lot more control over it. Uh, then maybe the standalone option could make a little more sense. And I'd say the the third most important consideration when you're comparing a shelter versus standalone operation is going to be the headcount of your operation, uh, you know, because that's going to be really crucial. So for a small operation, if you're saying, hey, I'm I'm looking at something less than 15 people, I think neither of these options would make sense. I would encourage you to consider going the contract manufacturing route. Uh, but between 15 to around 400, uh, when you start comparing it from an economic perspective, uh, the shelter option is the most cost-effective route. Um, so I think headcount is is crucial to consider. If if your operation is going to exceed the 400, and you know maybe you're looking at 500 or more type people, the economics of it may not make a ton of sense. But there's other aspects of the value proposition that still might incline you to consider using the shelter route. Uh, for instance, we have companies that have over 3,000 employees with us under the shelter program. And from a cost-effective perspective, it may not make the most sense, uh, but there's other aspects of the value proposition, like I mentioned, like there's risk mitigation, uh, there's focused production. So for instance, if you're a medical device company and you're making products that are 100% quality critical, uh, would you want a plant manager who's also stressing about how am I going to deal with this next labor union negotiation? Uh, you know, how am I going to make sure that everyone's paid on time? How am I going to, you know, handle this audit from the environmental authorities? Or do you want a plant manager who says, hey, I know a company like Tetakawi can take care of all of this, and I could just be 100% focused on making pacemakers or making some other mission-critical device. Uh, so for some companies that are kind of on the higher end of the headcount perspective, they start to look at the shelter for other reasons other than just the cost savings. And I think those are important to consider as well. From an operational standpoint, how does day-to-day -day management of a manufacturing unit under the shelter pro program differ from the standalone that you just got through commenting on? Yeah, so from an operational standpoint, the day-to-day -day management of, of a manufacturing unit under the shelter program is going to be less burdensome from an administrative perspective compared to a traditional setup. But I think it's important to, to kind of highlight that from a production-related perspective, uh, the amount of control is going to be the same. At the end of the day, really the only difference is that the shelter is going to handle all the administrative responsibilities. So, you know, they're going to handle all aspects of HR, of import-export administration, regulatory compliance, accounting, finance, and all of those things. Uh, so that you could be 100% focused on what you do best, which is production-related activities. So from a day-to-day -day perspective, that's really how it works. You know, the shelter provider is an extension of your team. Uh, I would say typically the the end user of our product is going to be the plant manager that our clients handle. And, and the plant manager is then well-equipped with how to activate uh, different departments within our organization. So if he needs to scale up production, he would talk to our HR team and say, hey, I need to hire 50 more uh, of X position. Um, you know, if they're going to be working on a new product line, he would get with our import export team to let them know that, you know, things need to change from an importation or exportation perspective. Um, you know, or if they're bringing in different types of chemicals, he would get with our environmental health and safety team and they would make sure that everything's well documented and that employees are trained on those things. So really at the end of the day, um, it, it, 
the shelter acts as an extension of the team, uh, but you know they they handle all of those administrative functions, and 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 the plan manager is one hundred percent focused on production. For businesses that um, have been intrigued by what you described in terms of the shelter program, how can they go about comparing different options that are available to them in the marketplace? I mean, I would just contact the Takawian. Uh, we, we can solve all your problems. But uh, but no, you know, if, if you do the, the research, there's about 27 different shelter service providers in Mexico. I would say about seven of them own 80% of the market share. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of them. I, I would, you know, encourage any company to speak to as many as they could. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is, is finding a shelter service provider who can help you on a couple elements of your strategy. So number one is going to be location. Um, a lot of shelter service providers are location specific. Uh, so if you're looking to operate in a specific region in Mexico, not every shelter service provider might be there. So for instance, if you're coming to Tetacabo and you're saying, I absolutely positively need to be in Tijuana, we would say we cannot provide services there. But if you were interested in another one of our venues, let's say Sonora, Coahuila, Mazatlán, we would gladly be able to help you there. But there's some shelter service providers that may not provide that key service there either. So I think that's kind of the most important thing to, to consider is maybe have a list of locations. I also wouldn't assume that one location is the best location. I, I would compare and I would benchmark and, and work with different shelters to work through cost models and understand what the cost implications are of different locations. Uh, but I'd say when comparing shelter service providers, location is going to be a key difference. Uh, number two, I would also look at cultural fit. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, a shelter service provider is a risk sharing partner, uh, but you have to make sure that it's a partner that kind of aligns with you uh, from a lot of perspectives. Uh, some shelter service providers, for instance, are U.S.-based like the Takawi. So if you're a U.S.-based or a Canadian company, you could align with a provider uh, and have a contractual base in the U.S., and that could offer a big advantage in terms of communication, legal alignment, uh, which will be really crucial uh, to make sure you have smooth operations. So I think cultural fit is important. I think a track record is also something worth exploring as well. Uh, at Tetaka, we, we always encourage uh, prospective clients to speak to existing clients, but even former clients, because I think in the conversations with the former clients is when you're going to really uh, know about the shelter service provider. And, you know, when you transitioned out, how did they help you? Uh, what were some of the reasons that you decided to no longer use their services? And would you recommend them to someone? Uh, so I think looking at track record is important as well. Uh, but again, I think that the biggest thing is, is talk to as many shelter service providers as you can, if you are interested in exploring this mode of entry, and see what makes the most sense for your business. You know, when when we talk to a prospect here at Tatakawi, we always say, hey, our goal is number one, to help you decide, is Mexico right for you? Yes or no? Uh, because for some companies, it may not make sense. Number two, is the shelter mode of entry the best way for you to establish in Mexico? Yes or no? Um, and number three, is Tatakawi the right fit? Yes or no? Because sometimes we aren't. We may not be in the location that you're looking for. We may not be able to offer you the very specific flexibility that you need. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're very proud uh, and, and we have a lot of uh, strong beliefs in our business model, but it's not necessarily 100% fit for every company. So 
Again, I would encourage you to speak to many shelters, visit them in person, go see it for yourself, tour their facilities, talk to their clients, uh, but also make sure that they're providing you with uh, data uh, that you can kind of use and benchmark and do the homework yourself. Because at the end of the day, no one can make that decision for you. It's a decision you have to make, but there's quantitative and there's qualitative factors that you have to evaluate. With respect to the, the data that you just mentioned, um, I know that one of the most uh, very valuable pieces of data that Tetakawi in particular offers its client is the cost model analysis. Can you tell us a little bit about your cost model analysis and, and how that helps companies make decisions? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, our cost model is based on proprietary data uh, that we aggregate based on the operation of our 70 clients in Mexico. So at the end of the day, we have real-time data. We pay 26,000 people every Friday. Uh, so when a company saying, hey, I'm thinking about expanding into Mexico, we're able to take this data and provide them with uh, an estimation of what it would cost them to set up that facility in Mexico. So uh, within our cost model, we would look at not just labor, we would look at real estate, we would look at logistical movements, purchases in Mexico, and then we're able to benchmark different regions in Mexico. So if you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm location neutral, maybe I'm not quite sure where I want to operate, uh, we would be able to help you model uh, the kind of uh, the the different cost scenarios uh, versus locating in, in different locations there. So I think the cost model is an important thing for a company to kind of work through. And, and I think it's it's great there to work with a shelter service provider. Uh, but again, just make sure you're you're comparing apples to apples and you're getting real information because some companies may not provide fully fringe wages, for instance. And, and they may say, hey, this is what this person's going to cost, uh, not taking into account other benefits that you may have to provide the workforce. And it may seem that one location in Mexico or one provider in Mexico uh, has a better cost um, uh, scenario than another, uh, but just make sure you're you're looking at things with a, a transparent lens. So the cost model is very effective, and, and we could also help companies benchmark a standalone operation versus a shelter operation. So if you're kind of in between both, and you're saying, "Hey, well, uh, you know, maybe I'd want to start with the shelter, eventually transition out," we can help you understand what that's going to look like from a cost perspective, not just in the short short term, but also in the long term there. How is Tedakawi at this point in time innovating or adapting its shelter services in response to some of the changing needs that we're seeing up here on the global business landscape? Yeah, so you know at Tetakawi, we're 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 well aware of what's going on, not just in the global manufacturing landscape, but also in in Mexico as a whole. Uh, so when it comes to kind of evolving, innovating, adapting our business model. Uh, there's a couple of things that we're doing. Number one is exploring new venues. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there's a lot of interest in Mexico right now, uh, but that also creates some problems. You know, in, in some areas that have been attracting investment for years, uh, you have more competition for labor. You have increased real estate prices. Uh, you know, there's some areas along the border where the maquiladora industry is owed over 24,000 workers where turnover is upwards of 16% a month. Uh, so what we're doing at Tetakawi is looking at other venues in Mexico uh, that may not be traditional manufacturing hubs, but that have labor availability that can help make sure that companies have access not just to the talent they need today, but the talent they need tomorrow. 
So for instance, we're going to be establishing a new manufacturing community in Mazatlan, which is an area mostly known as a tourist destination. Uh, but when we do our research, when we look at the demographics, when we look at uh, the needs of the local workforce, there's a lot of talent there that's looking for jobs in the manufacturing sector. Uh, so we believe that could be a, a venue uh, that that's very attractive to companies that want to hire a workforce, train them, and not worry about them leaving tomorrow for 20 more pesos a day. Uh, so it could be a good venue for a company really focused on reducing uh, turnover and, and looking to invest in, in their workforce. Uh, so, so that's one thing that we're doing. We also invest a lot in, in training centers and position ourselves as an employer of choice. Uh, you know, Steve, you've, you've been to our manufacturing communities, and I think you could really speak to what you've seen there, you know, anything from daycare facilities, the sports complexes, to transportation services, uh, to on-site medical services. And, and really a lot of these things that we're investing in within our manufacturing communities, they, they have a dual purpose. So first they support our employees and they contribute positively to the different communities where we operate, but they also provide our clients who may be entering into Mexico for the first time with access to services and amenities that normally they wouldn't be able to invest in. Uh, so the level of infrastructure and support that we're able to provide these SMEs in Mexico and our employers is really a game changer for a company that says, I don't just want to expand into Mexico. I want to expand into Mexico the right way. Uh, and I want to do the right things. And I want to help elevate the local communities. Uh, so I'd say those are some of the things that we're doing to kind of um, innovate our business model, but also elevate the communities where we operate. One thing that is particularly impressive is, uh, and I'm familiar with this, um, was what was done in beginning in the early 2000s in, in, uh, in Wymus. Um, there was no aerospace in Wymus in, in the early 2000s. Today, you have uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, aerospace clusters for the manufacture of aerospace uh, engine parts. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about what was done there in terms of creating an educational infrastructure to make that cluster happen. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I wish I could say I was uh, part of that, but that was that was well before my time. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, it, it was our, our team's uh, knowledge that, hey, we need to kind of change the way we're doing things here. And maybe let's focus less on labor-intensive operations and look more for capital-intensive operations that are looking to expand into Mexico. Uh, aerospace made a lot of sense, but the the challenge there was kind of the, the workforce and how do you make sure that these people have the necessary knowledge uh, to do things like CNC machining and things like that. Uh, so then Tatakawi worked with local universities, also invested in its own training facilities to kind of help elevate the local workforce. And over the years, we we built a very strong aerospace cluster that uh, was really driven early on by, you know, engine component OEMs who recognized the local talent, who also recognized that it's one of the few venues in Mexico where if you invest in a worker, you're not going to have to worry about them leaving tomorrow for, you know, a 5 10% pay bump. Uh, it's a more stable workforce, a workforce that is interested in learning more. And if you show a desire to invest in them, they're, they're willing to stay there a little longer. And, you know, now, as you said, that initiative started in the early 20s. Here we are in 2023. Uh, we have about 17 aerospace component manufacturers that do anything from secondary processing to castings 
um, and things like that. So we're, we're very proud of, of what's happened in Guaymas there. Um, and when we look at what it's done to the local community and how it's kind of elevated employees and uh, their their pay levels there specifically, it's, it's, it's really impressive. Well, Ricardo, we've traveled quite a, a distance here in terms of the information that we've covered in a relatively short period of time. Uh, the experience that we've had with these podcasts is, is that uh, the listeners have questions after taking in the information. They want to speak to those that uh, have been kind enough to do a podcast with LATAM FDI. That being the case, uh, can people get into contact with you and, and how would they go about doing that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you could shoot me an email, ricardo.rascon at tetakawi.com. Uh, you could also visit tetakawi.com. We have a, a chat there. You could shoot me a message and I'd be happy to respond. Uh, fill out a contact us form. You, you could even call me directly. Uh, my cell phone number is 520-971-9096. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have about Mexico. Okay. In addition to that information, we'll include a link to your LinkedIn profile, if that's okay with you, on our transcript section of the, of the podcast. Yeah, no problem at all. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been very instructive and informationally uh, packed, and we wish you well in the future and everything that both you and Tetakawi do. No, thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the consideration, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing how how far we're able to disseminate this message. Take care. All right. Take it easy.